Life was never meant to be easy. It was meant to be endured when surrounded by kind and caring people. Can you claim yourself as one of them? I'm Park Ranger Amy. Welcome to Supernatural Park. visitor. Welcome back to Supernatural Park. No, your mind is not playing tricks on you. Despite the moon and stars being out, it's not currently nighttime along the North Shore. In fact, it's probably about mid-morning in northeast Minnesota, while it's early afternoon here in Greenland, which is where the park has brought us today. Since we're right within the Arctic Circle, we won't be seeing any sunlight here during winter. Places as far north of this will not actually see the sun again until it gets closer to spring. We're going to be exploring a small portion of the Northeast Greenland National Park, the world's biggest national park. In fact, it's bigger than all but 29 countries in the world. This park is not a national park in the traditional sense. It's quite inaccessible to most people, and besides from a few individuals working at the meteorological stations and the Danish Armed Forces Surveillance Unit, no humans live in the area. There are, however, sealers and whalers who come here regularly from the town of Itukortimit, which isn't too far from here and is historically home to the Inuit people. Only 400 inhabitants of Inuit descent make up this town, and you won't find another city with a population of over 200 people for thousands of miles. You won't find any roads in Northeast Greenland National Park, and there are no gas stations for fuel. Traditionally, the best way to get around is by dog sled. It's been the main mode of transportation across these icy sheets for thousands of years, and was invented by the Inuit people in what is now northern Canada, where it spread throughout their land. The earliest known record of dog sledding actually dates back all the way to 1980 BC, and today's modern dog sleds do not look the same as they did when they started out. Rather than a large sled pulled by a team of dogs, it was a single dog pulling a small amount of cargo, like firewood, food, and supplies. Anyway, that is how we will be traveling today. Let's walk over to the kennels and meet the sled dogs. Say hello to the team. It's best not to ask the park where the dogs came from. In fact, it's probably best not to ask the park too many questions. There's always some sort of scientific explanation when it comes to the natural sciences, but sometimes it's best, and just more fun, to accept that things in nature are the way they are. Besides, there's always exceptions to every rule in nature, and if we asked the all-knowing park everything, we'd be here all day. There's only two of us today, and the average dog sled team can pull at least 3,000 pounds through the snow, so we should be okay. The only equipment we'll be pulling is extra clothing and blankets, just in case, and my spotting scope for looking out to the ocean. Now, you aren't going to be driving the sled. Instead, you'll be sitting in the bed basket, that flat area there where the cargo goes. Feel free to hold on to our bundle of gear and get comfortable while I stand on the footboards and use the handlebar and driving bar to control the sled. You won't need to know the commands for sledding since you aren't driving, but it's best to know them anyway. There's 11 commands in all, but we'll mainly be using these four. 
Hike to command the dogs to go. G to have them pull right. Ha to have them turn left. Easy to slow down and woe to stop. Are you ready to head out? Looks like you're all settled in. Hold on tight now. Hike. Easy team. Whoa. Go ahead and get up, visitor. Take a stretch and walk around if you need to. We've arrived at our destination, the edge of eastern Greenland, looking out to the Greenland Sea. Let me set up my spotting scope and we'll start looking for Kakwan Ugat Kigunlunik, more commonly known as Aklets, a variation of the word for orca in the Yupik language. They are shape-shifting creatures that are a cross between wolves and orca whales. But also make sure to keep your eyes out for the Kiwi Talk, a ghost man from Inuit folklore that lives in the nearby mountains. This creature is said to have once been a man who had abandoned society for some reason. Usually, they committed a crime in their community and have been banished from their village. In a place so far from other villages, in the never-ending cold, it's important to keep close to your community in order to survive. If one ended up being banished from their village, then it's as good as a death sentence. Kiwi talks are hungry and aggressive, surviving alone in the mountains for so long. Can you imagine being alone out here in the wilderness and cold? Perhaps you could survive for a little while, if you had the skills and knew how to live in the wilderness. But the need for a community is strong within the human race. We are, after all, a social species and wired to connect. Love and belonging are perhaps one of the most important needs we need fulfilled in order to achieve our best potential. If one were to live alone, one may find peace in nature, and perhaps one would find connection within that space. But ultimately, like many other mammals, we would miss the social connectedness that we would find exchanging ideas, hopes, and dreams. From the smallest of rodents to the largest of elephants, we are profoundly shaped by the social circles we live within. When we get together with other people that share our interests and ideas, we exchange positive energy with each other, thereby bettering ourselves and the world around us. We find greater satisfaction in life, and having a strong support system helps endure what can sometimes be unbearable. Perhaps the Kiwi Talks didn't become ghosts by being starved for food, but rather starved from the need to connect with others. One wonders what crimes they must have committed as humans to be kicked out of their community. Indeed, surviving in the wilderness alone can be a death sentence in the physical sense, but live long enough by yourself, with no one to speak your thoughts to, and you can see how one might become starved for human interaction. So perhaps the best thing we can do is to extend kindness to those within our community and to help each other feel like we belong and are needed. Let us not forget the one rule that has rung true throughout time and said in many different ways, live as you will, but harm none. Speaking of kindness, let's show a little love to the park. It's time for our lunch break. Today's lunch break submission is called Boiling Water by Karen Pierce Gonzalez. A group of people stand over me. One of them says it's a good thing they decided to update their records. Otherwise, he adds, pointing to me, Galapagos tortoises like this would be considered extinct. Must weigh over 300 pounds. How did this crusty thing manage to escape our attention before? 
For good reason, we've kept hidden for a very long time. We are descendants of reptiles that have called this part of the ocean home for as long as any one of us can remember. A strong female, I have laid more eggs than I can count and have chewed my way through more than a century of winters. I am not to be taken lightly, even when held down by the heavy net they have just tossed over me. I have been basking, with sunlight confined to only a few afternoon hours each day this time of year, such moments of warmth count. As always, I first peered out from the shadows of my protective basalt cave. Through the fall mist, always looking to avoid the fate of less fortunate tortoises, I saw nothing, believed I was safe. I would never be captured by seal fur hunters who chased my kind in circles before tearing off their shells, cooking their bodies in kettles to render their body fat for dry biscuits. Have they come back for more? The one with long blonde hair points at me, speaks in a high-pitched voice, and grins at the others. She is doing quite well. Doesn't appear to be traumatized. Another elbows his way to the ropes around me, holding something that flashes. Small bursts of light momentary blind me. I snap at their heavily padded boots and cocky pant legs, stretching my neck out as far as I could. I try to rip through the thick hide covering their hands, then I hiss and burrow into the sand. Two more approached. One made scratches on a flat object in his hand, while the other places a thin strip of something long like dry seaweed across my shell. Better than we thought. As they talk, I move my arms and legs as best I could to sweep away traces of any other tortoise tracks. Let them think I am the only one left. Unlike sea turtles, we do not migrate. We cannot swim. Able to hold our breath for only short periods of time, we manage just long enough to get from one side of a small eddy to the other in search of shallow grasses and lichen. They lift the knotted ends of cord on me and try to turn me over. I gasp. The weight of my body presses against my lungs. I can't breathe. They pierce my upper chest with something sharp. Are they cutting off my shell? Tracker's in. They roll me back over and quickly step back. I bob my head wildly, push off with rear legs, and lunge towards them as they run away. I am not going to be put into a pot of boiling water. Visitors, I always enjoy a good story of personification. The attribution of a personal or human characteristic to something that is non-human. I believe it allows us to see through another being's eyes and empathize with something other than ourselves, which the world is in dire need of. Thank you for your submission, Karen. Karen Pierce Gonzalez's writing credits include True North by Origami Poems Project and forthcoming Coyote in the Basket of My Ribs from Alabaster Leaves. Downriver with Lee Poe from Black Cat Poetry Press, her writing has also appeared in numerous publications. You can find her work at KarenPierceGonzalez at blogspot.com and follow her on Twitter at FolkHeartPress, on Facebook at Karen.P.Gonzalez.14, on Instagram at KarenPierceGonzalez. I've set up the spotting scope, so look out to the sea or along the shoreline, but be careful not to get too close to the edge. Since oclets are both orcas and wolves, they have the ability to hunt in water and on land. In fact, a sure sign that one is around is the sight of wolf tracks leading to or from the ocean, stopping just at the shore where they shapeshifted. Like many creatures from Inuit legends, 
The Aklat is a spirit only taking a physical form when it is active and hunting. Origin stories of the Aklat vary, and like many folktales, were never written down, only orally shared with others, and so many versions of it exist. There is one, however, that seems to be well known than most. A man was once obsessed with the sea and wanted to be near it at all time. One day, after returning from the shore, no one in his village recognizes him and banishes him. After wandering the ice-covered plain, he finds a pack of wolves. He wishes for revenge on his village, and so he becomes a wolf, but he hasn't lost his love for the ocean, and so rather than go back for revenge, he jumps into the ocean instead to become one with it and transforms into an orca. When he swims in the ocean as a whale, he is happy and at ease within the waters. But whenever he craves justice for being banished from his village, he returns to land in the form of a wolf to hunt. They are often depicted as being halfway through their transformations, as a wolf at one end and a whale at the other. Like the Kiwi talk, it is a very hungry spirit. Although it preys on anything it can find, it does have a fondness for human flesh, which has made fishermen and travelers cautious of being too near the seashore. However, unlike the Kiwi talk, the Aklets are highly social creatures, most likely due to their dual wolf-whale nature. They live in packs or pods, ranging from 2 to 20 individuals. Larger groups may form for a short time for temporary social interactions, mating, or to hunt prey together, which they use a coordinated hunting strategy to work together. Although they are spirits that can take physical form, that doesn't mean they aren't impacted by challenges normal orcas face in the ocean. As a vocal species that relies on underwater hearing and echolocation to feed, navigate, and communicate, they tend to hunt and travel less when ships are present and making noises or any other human-made contraptions are in the area. In fact, they will actually call to each other louder, which causes them to spend more energy that could be used for surviving in the frigid waters. We've been talking about the theme of community during our time here, visitor. While we may think of our community as being filled with the immediate individual humans we live around, we should remember that our community also includes non-human entities, like whales, who are not too dissimilar to us. They establish complex social hierarchies with the female at the top. Familial pods have often four generations in them, the offspring staying with their mothers in the same pod throughout their lives while having offspring on their own. In each of these pods, a unique dialect is formed to communicate with each other and gets passed down through each generation. Even if some of us don't directly live in connection with these magnificent creatures, we still have an impact on their livelihoods as they do to us. Chinook salmon is a major food source for them, and as overfishing causes the population of salmon to decline, the population of the whale declines with it. With the appearance of whales, there is a good indication that there is a healthy population of salmon, and therefore, clean water. Have you heard of a keystone species? A species which is largely dependent on the ecosystem, the environment would drastically change with their disappearance. Think of an arched bridge made of stone with a central stone that locks the whole thing together and keeps it from falling apart. These apex predators have an existing population of only 70 individuals left in the world, and the disappearance of these animals will have a major influence on the community as they ensure that certain populations don't become overwhelming to their ecosystem. An example of this is keeping the population of seals and sea lions in check. 
Too many of these creatures would also affect local fish populations, adding to the already exasperated overfishing challenge we are experiencing. Orcas can even shape the hunting behavior of competing predators like sharks by keeping them from areas where they normally hunt and also prevent the spread of disease by preying on sick animals. They really do it all. Oh dear, it looks like I've prattled on too much about orcas and forgot the main reason we were here. Although, how can you not get distracted when they are such wonderful creatures to talk about and share with the world? Fortunately, I didn't get so distracted that I missed the view. Take a look in the spotting scope. Do you see them out in the distance? There, three wheels breaching, 15 feet high out in the horizon. Now, since they're in whale form, I'm not actually sure if they are a group of auklets or southern resident killer whales. But what a sight! For a creature that spends most of its time underwater, why would it want to be airborne? There are a few theories. Communication between distant groups, ridding themselves of parasites, perhaps in the case of the auklet and its origins, the man who became the Aklat didn't just love the ocean. Maybe he also had dreams to be near the sky as well. After all, what is the ocean but an endless connection of water and sky? Well, that seems to be it. They have continued their journey wherever they were heading. Perhaps they were hunting and following a food source. It's a good thing they didn't see us and head our direction, isn't it? Let's load up the sled and head back to the park's gate, visitor. Here we are, visitor. The trail of sea glass is at your feet, ready to bring you home. Don't worry about helping me unload the sled and place the dogs in the kennels. The park can take care of all that. For now, just enjoy your time connecting with nature and your community around you and ponder your place in it. Have a safe journey back home. And please remember, do not feed the wildlife. Sources cited from today's episode can be found in the show's description. If you want to learn more about southern resident killer whales, more commonly known as orcas, as well as the challenges they face and ways you can help them, please visit www.noaafisheries.gov and nwf.org and search for orcas. If you have a short story, flash fiction, or poem about nature, conservation, magic, or the supernatural, and you would like to feature it on a future episode's lunch break, please send it in written form along with a short bio of yourself to thesupernaturalpark at gmail.com. Today's episode was sponsored by Great Lakes Great Responsibility, a network of volunteers keeping the Great Lakes Basin clean through litter removals. Join their current effort to pick up one million pieces of trash by visiting greatlakeslove.org. The episode is also sponsored by Great Lakes Aquarium, Based in Duluth, Minnesota, the aquarium is dedicated to leading freshwater conservation by connecting all people to Lake Superior in the world's waters. Their mission is to engage and inspire, encouraging stewardship of wildlife and water. Plan your visit at glaquarium.org. 
The music intro used in the show was created by John Kingsley. You can find more of his work at thebrevet.com. Audio editing and sound effects are supported by Zenith City Media, the pulse of the Northland. Visit them at zenithcitymedia.com and download the Zenith City Radio app to listen to Supernatural Park episodes every Friday at 5.30 p.m. PST.